This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Well, today's episode, I am really excited to share Tina's story with you because it is just a cracker. But before we get to that, I just want to follow on from last week's episode where I began uh, in the intro by stating my support for the Black Lives Matter and Indigenous Lives Matter movement. So, uh, I talked about how I was participating in the hashtag Amplify Melanated Voices campaign on social media, uh, and that's come to an end now. But I don't want that week to have just been a token effort. So, I wanted to just share with you, I guess, a a bit about what I'm committed to going forward and my next steps. So, last week, some of the things that I did do as well as participating in that uh, campaign on social media, I added an acknowledgement of country uh, to my podcast production website um, and to most of my email signatures. I still need to add it to the self-care for teachers website, but there's a few tech issues there. So, uh, it's on the way. I also have been reading up on ways that I can be a good ally and ways that don't center my own experience or my own feelings or demand that others do the intellectual or emotional labor for me. You know, anti-racism work is a personal journey. You know, you can't outsource your push-ups. It's for me to do that work. So, I've been reading about that and I've been reading about the situation here in Australia because obviously while racism is an international problem and the Black Lives Matter movement in the US has been the catalyst for this, ultimately I live in Australia and that's where my voice and my vote makes a difference. So, that's where I'm focusing my attention. I attended a class run by the Feminist Coach Academy and facilitated by or presented by Lisa Renee Hall on um, unconscious bias in coaching which I found very helpful and I'm going to be, you know, digging a little bit more deeply into the learnings from that class as well because obviously I am a coach and I want to make sure that I'm looking at my own unconscious bias and unpacking that. And I made some donations to the Sisters Inside campaign and the Indigenous Literacy Foundation here in Australia and I ordered some books by Black and Indigenous authors that I plan to read and I'll tell you about them uh, when I've done that. They, you know, the, the books were actually on back order because obviously there's been so many people order them in the last couple of weeks, which I think is a good thing. So, that'll take a while to arrive, I think, but that's fine. I'm patient. And, you know, I sat with myself and my discomfort and did some journaling and generally, you know, I guess did that internal personal work that is really important and is a is a huge part of this process of, of becoming a better ally. And I had some, you know, conversations with people in my life and I paid attention to how many of the people that I follow on social media and the businesses I interact with, I just paid attention to how they responded to this event um, and I'll be continuing to do so because obviously there's there's been a variety of responses and, um, you know, there's some people that I probably won't associate with or follow anymore. And I also purchased a subscription to the Saturday paper, uh, which is a, you know, independent newspaper here in Australia because I really want to make sure that I'm getting quality independent journalism and making sure that I guess the the articles that I'm reading uh, are not tabloidy rubbish basically. (laughs) 
And I also want to say, I tell you this not for praise, so please don't think that that's what it's about. I'm actually telling you for this for accountability because I, like I said, I don't want this to be a just a one-week token effort. So please do follow up with me down the track if I haven't updated uh, where and how I'm going about this. So hold me to account because I do believe it's important. And so going forward, here are a couple more things that I am committed to. Number one, first and foremost, I need to do a much better job of diversity on this podcast. Uh, as far as I know, I haven't had any guests who were Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, or certainly because our conversation ha- hasn't centered around that. I'm unaware if that is the background of any of my guests. I know we had Lena West back in, I think, season three, who is a African-American business coach, really a really fantastic person. And she's actually on the advisory board of the Feminist Coach Academy. So, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, I mean, we, we talked about being a CEO in your own life, and I think it's a really great episode. But obviously, by and large, I'm white, and I think all of my other guests pretty much have been white. So, I need to do a much better job of that. And, um, I, you know, generally, I have difficulty, and, and I share this because we do have a, a teacher story on today. And, you know, Tina reached out to me after hearing me say this on one of my previous episodes. I've generally found it difficult to get teachers to want to share their story. I've reached out to, you know, quite a lot of people over the years and and I've had a lot of no's (laughs) from people who I know have a great teacher story who said, I don't want to share that. And I I get it because it's like public, right? Interestingly, I do get a lot of pitches from people who want to come on as a guest and sell their crap to you, my audience. So, you know, I've actually set up a guest policy now because (laughs) I want to make sure that I, you know, I can quickly and easily point people who send me pictures to that. Um, and often, you know, often they're doing it because they have a business or something that's related to education, usually curriculum related. And they see teacher in the name of the podcast and they pitch me without <laughs> listening to anything or understanding that I don't do anything to do with curriculum. The whole point is that we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about you as a person. And, you know, I don't really talk about making teachers pay teachers products or anything like that. So, and sometimes also those people are alternative health practitioners who see the well-being part of the title and think that whatever modality they're trained in applies as well. So, but that's not what we're talking about here. But, you know, I, I understand that it's difficult for teachers to want to come on, uh, especially if you've had some challenges. It's difficult to want to come on and tell your story in, in a public way like this. So, I generally find it is a harder ask for teachers to come on and do that. But you can do so anonymously. And so, thanks for those of you who have reached out to volunteer. And if you are listening, feel free to do that. And if you're listening and you're an educator who is Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, I'd really love to speak with you. Um, and, you know, we can have a chat first about how and what you want to share. Because I'm obviously, like I said, all my guests, I want, I just want to make sure that you're comfortable because I don't want people to be, uh, obviously sharing things that they're uncomfortable being in the public forum. But I will also get to work behind the scenes to reach out to Indigenous educators because I just, I know I need to do a better job of representation on this podcast. So that's the first thing going forward that I'm committed to is, yeah, having some more diversity in your earbuds. The second thing um, is I'm going to continue to make regular donations to the Indigenous Literacy Fund, which is just a no-brainer for me because literacy has made such a difference in my life. And I know that it changes lives uh, and it's, you know, such an important way that we can close the gap. So, First and foremost, I'm an educator and I strongly believe literacy is a crucial piece in that fight for equality and equity. So, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and um, make some regular donations there. I'm also going to complete my certification with the Feminist Coach Academy and I'm going to do a course called Unpack Your Privilege, 
which is run by a Brisbane woman, Sharon Holmes, who runs a number of things, but she's an anti-racism educator. And so both of those things are really about, you know, I have my coaching qualification, but this is about, I guess, going to that next level. It's not about the practical, you know, how do you be a coach? It's actually about being a better coach and being a feminist and an anti-racist coach and making sure that the spaces that I hold for people are safe and brave. And I'm going to obviously read the books that I've ordered um, and spend some more time reading independent journalism instead of commercial tabloidy junk. And I'm going to continue to cultivate my news feeds to mute or unfollow people and businesses who are you know, clearly not doing their own anti-racist work or equity work of any kind. And I'm actively going to continue to follow and engage with Black and Indigenous, you know, businesses and organizations and support them where I can and just just keep learning and listening. Like this is not about me giving you a list of things to do because I'm not an expert in this space. I'm not an anti-racist educator. You know, I have to do my own work and so do you. So, and I'm going to continue to educate myself and unpack my bias. So, yeah, I think I've reached that state of conscious incompetence, which is, you know, where we know how much we don't know. So, I'm committed to educating myself and unpacking my privilege and learning more and being more aware. So I just wanted to update you on that and to share a bit about what I'm doing about it. And like most things I talk about, it's not a one and done thing. This is, you know, this is ongoing, difficult, emotional, personal, internal work. And I'm here for that. And I'm also going to continue on my journey of learning how to run a sustainable business because that's the only way that I'm going to be able to have the resources to use my values and my voice and my vote for change. And speaking of sustainable business, just a really quick reminder that if you are listening to the podcast this week that it's released, there are just a few days left in the crowdfunding campaign over on possible.com. So please go and support the Teacher Wellbeing podcast there. So you go to possible.com, that's P-O-Z-I-B-L-E.com and put Teacher Wellbeing in the search bar and pledge your support so that I can continue to make this podcast because podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. So any support you can give be very much appreciated. All right, on with this episode of the podcast. So this is a, a longer episode and, you know, obviously I've done a long intro as well. So thanks for sticking around for that. It's a really, really fantastic teacher story. There are just so many learnings from this. And I'm so grateful that Tina did decide to reach out and share her story with us. And like many of my episodes this season, it was recorded before COVID. So there's no mention of that at all. But we do talk about people pleasing and boundaries and the challenges of moving away from your support networks for a job, and you know, in your first teaching job, and also the challenges and the opportunities of living and working in a small town. But the two big themes from this episode are around having a safe workplace and about taking care of your physiological needs. So that bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy. And Tina shares her experience of being bullied at work and how as an early career teacher, she didn't necessarily know that that's what it was. She didn't really know that that wasn't a normal work situation. And it was thanks to an older, wiser, more experienced colleague pointing out to her that that's what was happening, that she was able to make some decisions about what was right for her. And so, you know, I hope that we can all just pay attention to what's going on for all of us, but particularly for early career teachers who don't necessarily know the lie of the land, right? And running alongside that experience, like I said, was a whole lot of body messages that were really telling Tina to pay more attention to her basic physiological needs. But like so many of us, she soldiered on because that's what we do, because that's what our culture tells us to do. Um, and it took a diagnosis of a health condition for her to actually pay attention to those messages. So we do focus a fair bit on early career teachers in this episode because 
Tina is an early career teacher, but I know that many aspects of this story will be familiar to all of you who are at all stages of life and career. So, without further ado, here's Tina's story. Hello, Tina. Thanks for coming on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, Ella. My pleasure. I'm really, really glad that you're here and I know that we have lots to talk about today. Uh, so let's begin. Can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and you know, the context of your education uh, career? Yeah, absolutely. So I am an early career teacher. This is my third year out. I spent a couple of years in a remote location teaching in an independent school and then made the shift back to kind of a big city and I'm now teaching in a public school. Yeah, so I know that you've had some of those changes have been a part of your wellbeing journey. So let's dive into your, I guess, your wellbeing challenges that you've experienced over your career. And obviously, you're still early career but that's a time that we know a lot of teachers experience well-being challenges and unfortunately then they uh, don't always decide to stay in the job because of those challenges. So I'd love it if you could share a little bit about some of the, the challenges you've experienced so far. Yeah, look, there have been many and I think uh, you'd be crazy to think that you could get through teaching without any challenges and I knew that there would be some, but I guess they were larger than I'd expected. So. Firstly, there's just so much that comes with teaching and particularly in a remote location, uh, being away from family and friends and quite isolated. But together with that, I was in quite a toxic working environment. And I didn't actually realise it for probably a good six months, what was actually happening to me and how it was slowly affecting my mental health. And it wasn't until uh, one of my colleagues actually pointed out to me that the way that people were speaking to me and treating me wasn't how it should actually be. Uh, and they said that I should be speaking up more about it and, and find some extra support uh, in the system. So I did reach out and try to find that support through uh, various forms of leadership at my school, through the union, through other leadership within the independent schooling system I was in. And unfortunately, that didn't reach any sort of conclusion for me. Uh, And I did end up having to move back to a location where I was more secure in my mental health and being able to have family and friends around me to support me as well. But people also didn't really believe me when I said the kinds of things that were happening uh, within my school. And it was, I guess, the best way to describe was kind of belittling. And as an early career teacher, that that can take quite a blow on your self-esteem because you don't think you're doing things correctly. You don't, and you don't know if you are. Uh, so you know, every bit of feedback is golden. And when the feedback that you're getting is constantly negative or is constantly trying to put you down, it really, really works against your mental health. Mm. And I think uh, first I want to thank you for sharing that because I do believe you. And unfortunately, in the work that I do, I, I hear quite a few stories of, I suppose, bullying with, you know, by teachers to teachers or in some cases leadership. But, and, and obviously, as you said, like every piece of feedback when you're, when you're an early career teacher, you are still learning. Like it's not like you come out of uni with, <laughs> with everything sorted. Like I almost feel like we should really be thinking about those first couple of years of teaching as 
almost like apprenticeship because that's, that's when the real learning begins, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's just so different to university. It is. And it's also different to prac. And even if you've had a really great prac experiences with like, you know, lots of practical experience, you're still learning and things are going to come up. And as you say, that every piece of feedback is, is so important. And there's a difference between when we're learning and we know we're making mistakes and we're not perfect and we've got things to improve on and the kind of feedback that is actually undermining you. And it's not actually, it's not actually necessarily even accurate. It's actually more about, as you say, belittling and, and bringing you down and it's not helpful. It's not constructive and it's not, it's certainly not acceptable. But when, as you shared, you didn't necessarily realize that that wasn't normal because this was your first experience and it was only when somebody else with a lot more experience in the system was able to say, no, this isn't, this isn't right, that you were able to even identify for yourself almost what was going on because it, it sounds like there wasn't even necessarily any language around it for yourself to be able to pinpoint it. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. And look, I am a very, I see myself as a very people-pleasing person. I'm completely non-confrontational and I'll go out of my way to make other people happy, which is sometimes an asset and sometimes that lets me down. But for me too, it was just, oh, you know, that's a little bit mean. That's maybe not called for. Um, And it wasn't until someone actually used the word bullying and said to me, you know, that is a form of bullying that I went, oh, that that is actually happening to me because I'd I'd never thought that I could be bullied. I, I always thought that the way that I got along with people and I could get along with anyone. And, but it, it was just this particular person just targeted me for, uh, to this day, I, I don't know why I can guess, but it's also for me trying to help people and being that sort of people pleasing person. You know, I, I also felt for that person. What could be happening in your life to be so bitter and, and so angry towards someone who, in in my view, I actually hadn't done anything as an early career teacher. <laughs> you know, first day on the job, there's not much that you can understand by that point. So yeah, I, I also saw both sides of the story, and I guess it's important to keep that in mind, but also to remove yourself from that situation. For me, it, it was really really important to just take that step back and just go. Actually, I can't help this person, and I can't please them. So I actually need to do what's best for me in this moment which will then help my teaching and help my kids and and just help me continue to grow. Yeah, that is so powerful. I just want to reiterate, you know, you, you, number one, I want to point out how uh, insightful it is to say that you're aware of that people pleasing and how it can be an asset. Like it absolutely, we want people, we want to work with people and be people who are proactive and helpful and agreeable. Like that's the kind of most teachers I think want to be that kind of a, a teacher. Um, but it can have that dark side where we overgive and we go out of our way to please people who, as you say, can't be pleased because you haven't done anything wrong on the first day of the job and they're already, you know, belittling you. And it's very, very important that and I hope that teachers of all stages of their career can hear this message that, yes, sometimes there are challenging situations in schools and, and certainly interpersonal relationships between colleagues are not always sunshine and rainbows but there is a difference between general interpersonal you know just working with people and actual bullying and you know you are entitled to a safe workplace and sometimes you can't solve the problem where you are you know sometimes nothing you can do will help and actually leaving and putting your health and mental health first 
is actually the priority to go and go and find a different school because not all schools are like that. And of course, even from year to year, schools can change dramatically based on the various staffing makeup. So there are cases where unfortunately bullying occurs between teachers in schools. And I'm really sorry that that happened to you, Tina. And thank you for sharing that experience. And and I'd love for you to tell us then, I know there were some other wellbeing challenges that weren't necessarily related to that. And we will talk about that in a moment, but I'd love for you to share then the difference that it made being in a new school and the, um, I suppose, how that helped you overcome that early experience, that early negative experience of being a staff member in a school where things were toxic? Yeah, well, it was actually a staff member who I'd become quite close with in that remote location said to me, not all schools are like this. This isn't the normal. And I started to think, oh, really? (laughs) This is all I've ever experienced. And so I did take that jump and make that shift uh, to another location, to another school, to another system, jumped into that deep end. And from day one, it was a completely different world. You know, there were just aspects of the organisation, the support, the communication, everything was just so much better. And I guess I do want to reiterate that if you are in that sort of position where you are in a toxic environment or you're working with people who are not supporting you, not everywhere is like that. Find your niche and find your people and work with them because that's where you're really going to shine and it's where, you know, that's where you'd want to be excelling yourself in your career. Don't don't keep pushing up against a wall that's not going to budge. <laughs> Absolutely. And also especially, I mean, again, I think this applies at any stage of your career, but especially if you're in the early career and you don't have, as you say, you didn't have any other experiences. This is all you'd ever, the only school you'd worked at. So, If that is the case, you know, don't give up on the career because of a really difficult year or two at a school that is is maybe whether or not the whole school is toxic or whether or not you happen to be in a situation that is toxic. This is a message that I really want to share that sometimes it's not the job that's the problem. Sometimes it's the situation and changing the situation actually helps you fall back in love with teaching again. Yeah. And look, I won't lie, in the last six to 12 months at that job I I knew in that second year that it was my last year in that location and I just went we'll just see how this plays out and the last six months were just such a push because yeah it, it was just that do I want to continue am I cut out for this job am I you know can I fulfill the expectations that are being placed upon me and in moving to this new school and you know, those expectations were far out of reach from what, I, what I'm capable of achieving, particularly as an early career teacher. And I don't think it was fair to place those expectations on me or on other staff. And when you have that sort of environment too and everyone's starting to feel quite down and, and the, the community spirit isn't there, it, it takes us toll on absolutely everyone, which then all the relationships, even the positive ones, start to feel a strain. So, yeah, it's just such... A big learning curve, but I'm actually quite happy that I had that experience early on so that now every school that I go to, I'm basically holding it against that first experience and comparing that and going, is this a good choice for me? Is is this what's best for me? And, and I know all the boxes that I need to work through and tick off along the way. Uh, and if it doesn't meet one of those criteria, then there's no bother even applying or continuing there because I know that it's not going to work for me now. 
Absolutely. And I'm so, I suppose, proud is what I was going to say, which is interesting because we don't know each other. But, <laughs> um, but, I, but I am pleased to hear you say that because not that we want to be comparing to the, the lowest common denominator and saying as long as I was better than that terrible situation, but actually what you're saying is you now have some standards around what you will and won't accept and what your never again is or what your, I suppose, baseline standard is for you, for what you know is a work situation, a work environment where you can be happy and healthy and therefore be effective and actually do a good job. So I think that that's really important. And, and not that we wish those kind of terrible experiences on people to have to learn those lessons, but I'm pleased that, that you've been able to take that as the, I suppose, the positive out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I'm the way that I kind of conceptualize it is that I know the conditions that I can survive in and, and kind of that lowest point, but I really want somewhere that I can thrive. And that, and that's the difference is that you really need to look for those key components that you, you're not going to skimp on. You are going to hold those to yourself. And whether that is the communication at the school or whether that is the particular year level you want to walk in or the planning style or the teaching style, whatever it is that is important for you, then don't don't go any lesser on that. Get different experiences, but if that's what's going to make you happy at the end of the day, keep that. Yeah, 100%. I love that, the, the difference between surviving and thriving and, and really surviving, of course, we want everybody to survive, but that's not actually enough. We actually need thriving teachers and, and even regardless of whether you stay as a teacher or not or in any other role in your life, you deserve to be safe and have a mentally, uh, have a culture in the workplace where you work that actually supports mental health. You deserve to thrive, not just survive. And so I appreciate you sharing that. I also wanted to touch on, I know that there were other challenges that you have experienced in your early career. Obviously, the isolation of being in that remote area and away from all your support networks is definitely a factor. Is there anything that you wanted to add on that score? Uh, it was challenging to be away from family and friends and, and not have that sort of, I guess, that outlet away from the school. I was always the teacher. You leave the school, you go down to the supermarket and you see five of your kids. No anonymity. There's no anonymity at all. You get home and your next door neighbour is someone who's at the school or it's a teacher or, and I was in a unit that actually backed onto another teacher's house because the housing was provided in this particular location. So even then, um, even though they're a lovely, you know, lovely teacher and you get along with them and everything else, you don't have that separation from work and home life. Being so close to school too in a small town, uh, always at work, always thinking about work everything that you do and I, I started getting more heavily into sports uh, in my second year while I was there and, and participating in the community in that way and even then all of the sports were involving people from school because that, that's just the nature. It's a small community. Yeah, exactly, which made it very, very hard to switch off. Yeah, I was always the teacher and not that you'd go out and do anything silly or, or have massive nights out or whatever else but it is nice now that I'm back in a larger space to be able to have that you know that 20 minute drive to work where I get to listen to my podcast and I get to wind down and then I get home and you know school's done where I can you know I stay at work back a little bit later but then once I leave it's that's it it's done 
because there's this separation there. There's a physical separation, but then also I'm in a different space. I don't see my kids. I don't see other teachers. I go to the gym and I can work out and there's no one there who I know. Like it's anonymity. It's that anonymity. And, and I, I choose when I get to see people who I want to see and get to choose how they see me as well. And I, I guess that was a big challenge for me particularly, I guess, in this teacher role, so much is placed on you to be a, you know, your kids look up to you. You are a mentor to them. And I take that very seriously. <laughs> so, And as someone who is a people pleaser, you know, I do want to do what's best for my kids. So when you are in that situation where they're seeing you all the time, you always have to be switched on. You can't switch on off at any point. So it, it, I found that really, really hard. And then not having family or friends around to talk to about it was again just that yeah that really big challenge my partner actually was away from me for the first probably six to eight months uh until he moved up to be with me in that particular location and he said when he arrived I was a different person I, I my personality from being bright and bubbly and always finding that silver lining had changed to just always seeing the negative, always grumbling, always like it was, he just said I'd lost kind of my sparkle and my fizz. And, and once he kind of pointed that out to me, I went, oh, this is actually having a bigger effect on me than I'd initially thought. Yeah, I think that's interesting too, because when you are, I mean, when anyone is experiencing any kind of mental health challenges in particular, it's, it can be hard to see what's because we're in it, right? So we, we don't necessarily see the changes and also because it can often come on quite gradually but especially when you're isolated away from people who know you and um, when you're in that situation where you feel like you have to be on and in the role as teacher all the time it's also something that can you can lose sight a little bit of you the person as opposed to you the teacher and I do also want to point out that I mean part of the goal of this podcast is to share that there's different strokes for different folks right I know some people love that small community feel and and being, you know, really uh, engaged and connected to the wider community, but living in a small town, you end up doing lots of mixing and socialising with, uh, you know, in sporting teams and, and other things with people who are also connected to school, whether they might be parents of your students or, you know, for example, I know when I worked in a small town um, and lived in the same small town, like, and I was a high school teacher, so the kids behind the counter at the little supermarket were also students in my classes. And, and there were, once I'd been there a while and I had good relationships with those students, that was great. But when I first arrived, it was really hard. And I can tell you what, I still didn't always get my prescriptions from the chemist in the local town because there were times where I knew I didn't want students, uh, my students knowing what my prescription was. So I would actually go to the next town for that. So it's one of those things where it, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, don't feel like that's anything wrong with you. And, you know, as you found, Tina, you just needed to go, you just needed to be in a bigger area where you actually felt that you could have that anonymity that allowed you to switch off. And I would be, I mean, this is just a theory I have, but I think that possibly, I suppose the more of a, an obliger and a people pleaser or have those tendencies, maybe I think that's probably harder for those of us who have those obliger people please tendencies to switch off and to connect back to the person first and and the teacher second when we are in those situations where we know we're like especially visible 
anywhere you go, unless you're inside your room in your home, (laughs) you know, you're visible to the public. And, you know, when I think about some of the people I know who love that small town life, they're actually, they, I wouldn't describe them as having people pleaser tendencies. Like I know I do, I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I really resonate with what you're sharing. And I also wanted to ask you, I know that you had some experiences with stress impacting your cycle. And I'd love for you to share about that because I think that's something that a lot of teachers uh, experience. Obviously, women who cycle, not every woman has a cycle and uh, not everyone who does experiences difficulties with it, but it's common enough and not spoken about enough that I'd love for you to share uh, how that impacted you and then what you did about that. Yeah, uh, so... Within the first kind of six months of being in this job, I'd recently stopped eating meat anyway. I was only eating seafood. And then I'd moved to this new location and suddenly I was under so much stress. I was bringing it home. I was going to bed really late. I was waking up really early to get all this work done. I wasn't sure how to manage my workload, which is a whole other (laughs) kettle of fish. So I wasn't sleeping. And then as a result too, I wasn't then eating well enough. I'd wake up, I'd have a piece of toast uh, for lunch. I might order a salad from the canteen, which was like a few bits of lettuce and some tomato. Like it, there wasn't any protein or any sort of good fats or anything in there. It's literally just salad. And then I'd come home and either wouldn't eat anything or maybe have another piece of toast. So like my eating went from being really excellent from university to suddenly having number one barely any food but also barely any nutrients in that food so this went on for a few months and i was also putting on a lot of weight because then when i did get hungry i would binge on whatever it was that i could find you can only imagine what could be in my cupboard at that point (laughs) all the yummy goodies so yeah i was putting on all this weight i was unhappy i was stressed beyond belief and just getting myself in deeper and deeper into this hole. And it got to the point where I did miss period. And I'd never, since I started way back, like 10, 11 years old, never missed a cycle. Uh, So here's me in a remote town, missed a cycle, teaching at an independent school where I could possibly lose my job if I was have to be pregnant and not married. <laughs> so um, my anxiety is already through the roof with teaching and I'm already quite an anxious person. So I went into kind of this meltdown mode. I ended up having to go and see the counsellor at school and I just said, can I do for five minutes? And she was amazing. She kind of took me down through it logically and went like, okay, let's actually talk about what's happening here and she actually went out and as you said you know getting prescriptions at local (laughs) can you imagine me going down to the supermarket and buying a pregnancy test uh and having you know one of the dads of my kids or someone serve me at the counter (laughs) yeah so she actually went down and bought a pregnancy test for me and brought it back to school and I took it and everything was fine I wasn't pregnant and I ended up going to the doctor and I had my iron tested and I had an iron level of eight, which was about like a 10th or 11th of what it should be. (laughs) Uh, So he basically took one look at me and said, like, how are you functioning? And I actually, before that point, I had also ended up in hospital because I'd driven myself to school and I'd 
Um, so this was to do with the low iron in leading up to having those tests with the doctor. I remember just standing there in front of my door and I had my key for my classroom in my hand and I was trying to put the key in the lock and I just couldn't, it was like I was drunk, I couldn't get the key in the lock. And one of the other teachers walked in and she said, are you all right? And I just, I burst into tears and I, I couldn't stand. I was like waving, but I don't know how I drove to school. So she took me, eventually someone got me to the hospital, got me into the emergency ward and they had my bloods taken and everything else. And then, yeah, in the follow-up to the doctor, that was why, because I had an iron level of eight. So after that, I, I was deep down in that hole and I had to dig my way back out. Uh, I knew I couldn't keep going on like that. And that really was the shock to the system where I went, okay, this isn't good. Uh, something needs to change. Uh, so I started eating. That was the first thing. I just had to start getting food in. So I started eating more and more and more food uh, each day and making sure that I was actually getting food, whether it was takeaway from you know, the local bowls club or the golf club or whatever else, as long as I was actually eating food throughout the day, I was happy. Um, started doing my yoga again, started reading again, uh, cut back on work kind of slightly and started seeking that support from other people around the school. And I said, look, I'm not managing my workload. I'm not managing my time. And you also have, I mean, like extremely, you know, like anemia is basically like that's a physical health problem. So there's also a level of like this is this is not in your head. Like this is not a, and not that unreasonable workload expectations are in a person's head, but it can feel like, oh, I'm the one not coping, even though maybe the workload expectations are ones that are unreasonable. But even on top of that, regardless of that, your body is saying something's wrong here. <laughs> yeah. It was a very clear indication that I needed to change something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I changed m multiple things. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I just kind of went for it and started eating more food and I tried to, I tried to take a step back from school as much as I could. And for me at that point, my coping mechanism for the workload at school was that I would do it all in the school holidays, all of my planning, everything. I, I wouldn't really get a break, but it meant that during the term, my workload was manageable because I could work through those planners and know what I was doing because I was the only teacher of my year level as well. Uh, so I was the only one planning 11 subjects for each term for a variety of student needs within those kinds of communities as well. It, yeah, it was just for me, I had to just work through the holidays and that tended to make it better once I got into a little bit of a routine. But again, that just wears you down. Those holidays are there for a reason. <laughs> so, uh, and I mean, we we just spoke last week about the fact that, you know, these holidays I've been at this new school, I, I don't have that need. I can go away for an entire week and be in isolation away from the city and not have to worry about my schoolwork because I've got a team around me now working on this one year level and we we support each other and share that planning so for me now I know that I as much as I can manage a year level by myself I work so much better in a team where I can share them so yeah there were lots of things that changed after I did miss my cycle and I, I started to conceptualize things a little bit differently and I think sometimes you know, especially something I've observed is that a lot of teachers are very cerebral, like we're in our heads all the time. Uh, we're not necessarily like in our bodies paying attention to the, the subtle messages that our body is sending us. And we're very, very good at mind over matter. And 
at times, again, that can be an asset if, you know, you need to go to the toilet, but there's 30 minutes until lunch and you've got a class full of kids that you can't leave unattended. Well, we're quite good at just holding on, right? But that can also really be not only just a hindrance day to day, but also it can lead to more serious health problems where we actually, it's only when we get a big wake up call from the body that we go, oh my goodness, yeah, I need to do something about this. I need to pay attention to my physiology because it actually does underpin my <laughs> everything else, my psychology and my effectiveness and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, and I found teachers are just one to put, you know, I worry on that, worry about that later, worry about that later, you know, but this needs to come first. But we really do need to start putting ourselves first because that, that does underpin everything else that we do. And I did find that. So after I started eating a lot more, I then put on a lot more weight. And then I started to be, I, I was having more energy and I was managing my workload better. And okay, next step is I need to start moving. I need to start doing something outside of work that's getting me active in a different way and taking my stress out in a different way. Uh, so I started getting back into running and yoga and home workouts and things like that again because I wasn't feeling very comfortable mingling necessarily all the time in the community. I was doing a lot of that stuff at home until eventually I joined the gym um, and actually made some really great connections at the gym and people who I could talk to outside of school about non-school things and that again, opened up that different door and that different world of uh, here's this little escape that I can get to every other day. Here's, here's another place that I can go to just wind down and not have to think about school. So I slowly started implementing these strategies and these places and people who I could talk to uh, to take my mind off my work and to help me just lead that healthier and happier lifestyle to make sure I was balancing everything. Yeah. And I, I love that uh, you've shared that going to the gym and, and the gym is not for everyone, but for you, it meant you actually were able to make those connections where you, you didn't have to talk about school all the time. So it became not only a break for your body, but also a break for your mind. Yeah. Um, and I think it was even sometimes those, the gym classes, you know, being told what to do, you know, now you're going to do this. And I was like, I didn't have to think about it. I just could go and someone could tell me what to do and I'd get a great sweat on and, and it would, you know, you just feel refreshed afterwards because sometimes those home workouts or trying to push yourself through a workout can, you know, go, I really don't want to do this. But if, if someone's there in front of you saying, okay, now do this, now do this, I just found that a bit easier and especially as a people pleaser <laughs> um, and being, being able to go, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And just felt a bit more self-worth too because there was something else and, and, you know, linking into that bullying side of things. If I wasn't feeling great after my day because I did feel like I'd had a really awful day or I'd done something to upset this other person, and you know, I could go to the gym and I could have my success in that part of my life. Not everything was riding on my success in school. Yeah, no, 100%. And actually the, that point about being told what to do, I mean, that, that is actually really, really an important thing to highlight if exercise is something that, you know, you as a listener, you know, want more of in your life and the home workout isn't working for you. It works great for some people and it works great at certain times in people's lives. But if it's not working or you're finding it's not happening because you're getting to the end of the day and your brain is just 
like you get you have decision fatigue and so making the decision and it's not just one decision but you know every decision to do another rep or to even just turn on the YouTube to do the activity that is such a good strategy to go no I need someone else to tell me what to do and then I just follow the instructions and then I'll do it and then I know it's done that's a really important thing to kind of let yourself off the hook I think sometimes we can just put more pressure on ourselves by thinking we have to do it all by ourselves, but actually, no, it's okay to get a personal trainer or it's okay to go to a class, whether it's yoga or Tai Chi or, uh, you know, a pump class, whatever it is, it's okay to do that and just help at least combat the decision fatigue in that area of life. Yeah. And we, uh, we spent all day telling, you know, 20 to 30 kids what to do in every moment of the day. It's nice to have someone else tell you what to do for just 30 minutes. <laughs> nice not to have to be in charge. Yeah, um, and to learn new skills too, to be that learner. So for me too, it was going out and learning those new skills in the gym or to be reading more and learning more in that aspect. Um, I started up a couple of different Instagram accounts to like follow different passions and make those connections online that perhaps I couldn't face-to-face in this remote location. Uh, So it was like trying to build almost my own little communities there where I could feel that connection. And that's where, you know, I really love things like, you know, your podcast and having uh, different Facebook pages for teachers and Instagram pages for teachers where we can connect to people all over the world. And and we feel that sense of of community. Absolutely. Because especially when you're in a remote location, it can feel like it's only the people in your immediate vicinity. But even if you're in a big city school, you can feel like, oh, there's sort of just nobody here that's kind of on my wavelength. But actually, the thank goodness for the internet, right? We can actually connect with each other all over the world and find our like-minded people and the people who are you know, encouraging us and, and motivating to us and inspiring to us and also who are sharing their you know, what works for them. And we can go, okay, I'll try that because maybe there's no one in your staff room that's, that's approaching things that way. So that's such a good point. Thanks for sharing that, Tina. So what are your top tips then, given your, I guess, tricky start to your career? What are your top tips for early career teachers to really set themselves up for a thriving, not only career, but also life? I want to say stay positive, but I know that's not always going to be possible. For me, it would be to actually keep some sort of record about what's happening or have someone to stay accountable to, whether that's a partner who's keeping an eye out for how you're feeling or someone at work who's checking in on you. Uh, And for me, when things weren't going well, I was writing them down so I wasn't trying to internalise them. I was putting them down on paper so they weren't in my brain anymore. But then I also had... Obviously, in that case of being bullied, I also had that physical record there if I ever, if it ever got to the point where I needed to take it further. Uh, So, for me, if there are people in that situation, that's kind of my advice is to write everything down, just keep a little, you know, black book, if you will, (laughs) to the side of this is is everything being externalized. Have someone to talk to about things, um, positive and negative. Uh, Have, you know, make sure you celebrate those wins each day. Celebrate when your kids get something right. Celebrate when you go to the gym. Celebrate when you, know, you manage to get in all your meals for the day or whatever, whatever else it is. Make time for you. Make sure you're not spending all your time at work. And I know that's easier said than done. <laughs> but, but schedule that in. Make an appointment like anything else. You know, I'm, I'm going to get home from work at 
at 5 p.m. and I'm going to go for a walk until 5.30. could be as easy as that. Um, it could just be saying, okay, when I'm on duty today, I'm going to make sure I walk around and around the oval, keeping an eye on the kids, but I'm going to do, you know, five laps of the oval at least during my rounds. Like those sorts of things, just keeping them in your head. Making sure you are looking after also what you're drinking. So for me too, a lot of my problems earlier on was that I was drinking lots of caffeine, not enough water and too much alcohol and that causes dehydration and it <laughs> causes all sorts of negative impacts there. So just you know, keep in mind what you're putting into your body so that you can look after yourself. Yeah, put, put yourself first sometimes because you deserve it. Absolutely. And that point about writing things down it is so powerful for, for both those reasons you mentioned. One, if you ever need it, you have a record. But two, it means it gets things out of your head and onto the page and that can just help us not to internalize things just as you said. So that's really brilliant advice. And look, it, for me too, then looking at it on paper, I could see whether things were getting worse. It, it, was, it was that concrete evidence or whether they were getting better. It was that concrete evidence of this is what happened in March and this is what's happening in October, have, have things improved or are they actually getting worse? Are they the same? Uh, it, was, it was there to kind of, for me to keep a track of what was happening in life, my life and how I was managing them. It's data, right? And we, we have so much data in the classroom or we're expected to have so much data in the classroom, but actually it's, it's really valuable to think about data in our own lives that yeah, it's a different kind of data, but it's still data and it helps us to make evidence-based decisions about our own life. Yeah, and I guess also with, with that data, if you do notice that something's wrong, you know, see someone is a professional in the area or who knows more about it than you do. So for me, when I was struggling with my planning, I made sure to try and seek out someone within the school who was you know, heading up the planning there or when I was struggling with, you know, my weight and my mental health in that aspect. I went and sought out someone at the gym who could help me with that and talk me through the classes or I, I signed up to a PT. So make sure you don't just say that you can do everything yourself. You know, we need to be learners at some point as well. I think it's important to be able to take that step back and go, actually, I'm going to give the control to someone else for this one and I'm going to take the learning journey with them. Brilliant advice. To wrap up, I'd love for you to share, I guess, what well-being and self-care looks like for you these days, what it means to you these days and what your practices are that you have implemented in your life now that hopefully will help you stay well long-term and continue to thrive. Yeah, so these days it just it's chalk and cheese to what it used to be, <laughs> uh, which is a really good thing. I've started – so. I guess there's my social side of things. I'm making the effort to catch up with my friends once a month, you know, make that appointment with them to catch up over a cup of coffee or go out for a drink and not just with friends outside of school, but also making those connections within my school community. So once a week, myself and my uh, teaching partner, we share kind of an office and we go out for lunch once a week together. Uh, we go and get sushi and then we talk about things that aren't school-related or if we need to, we talk about school-related things when we just need to rant, <laughs> which is it's always nice to have someone within the school who you can trust and you can 
just talk to when you, know, you haven't had a great day or you need that little bit of extra support there. Uh, so socially, that's been really important for me. In terms of uh, physically, I've uh, signed up with a personal trainer at the start of this year, which has been great for just keeping those times booked in my diary with this is the time when I move. This is the time when I go and lift weights. Like it, it helps me to keep everything in perspective, particularly around reporting periods or more stressful periods in my life. I know that I'm at least going to move those few times that week and that's my time to zone out and, again, talk to someone different outside of school who, you know, doesn't know everyone else in my life. And I think finding whether it's a personal trainer or it's classes or it's just going for a jog or a walk or whatever else it might be, I think finding that time to move is really important. Uh, I've started focusing on getting more sleep as well. <laughs> so important. Yes. It's amazing how much better I feel with more sleep. Who, who would have thought that? Turns out it's <laughs> fundamental. <laughs> uh, I went for years and years on like five or six hours of sleep and and focusing on getting, you know, seven to nine hours each night, making sure I have a wind down routine before bed. I have you know, a set bedtime and I have, you know, a set time when I wake up and I have a routine in the morning and all of that has been really fundamental to everything else within my life, making sure I have enough energy and I feel happy enough the next day when I go to school. The, the final thing would probably be nutrition. I'm currently living in a house with seven people here. <laughs> so, yeah, um, so we... Yeah, we have a kitchen and it's kind of sometimes wars to get time in the kitchen. But so I set aside some time each weekend where I will just spend a few hours cooking all of my meals for the week and I freeze them up. And that way I know I am going to have enough food there to get me through. When I get home at the end of the day, I don't have to worry about cooking. I just pull it out of the freezer and you know put it in the microwave and that's, that's dinner. I take my food to me to the food with me to school in a thermos uh, so I don't have to line up at the microwave at recess and lunch. Like those sorts of small things, make sure that I'm eating, make sure that I'm getting all of that good nutrition in so I don't end up back in the hospital like I was before, uh, but also so that I'm, you know, I'm able to lift weights with my PT. I'm able to have enough energy to go out with friends. I'm able to get enough sleep because I have you know, that good nutrition there as well. So all of that kind of works together to make sure that I'm being the best teacher that I can be, but also that I'm just happy and healthy and loving life at the moment. Ah, that's such a great place to wrap it up. Well, thank you so much, Tina, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it because I know that some of this stuff is obviously very personal, but it's also, I think, very, very important that we talk about some of these things and so thank you for helping start this conversation, hopefully in staff rooms around the country. No, thank you, Alan. And I hope that, yeah, it can help at least one early career teacher or any teacher out there who might be going through something similar. They are things that we don't talk about often enough and, and you often do feel more isolated because of that and think it might only be happening to you, but way too common, I think. <laughs> more common than we realise. Uh, so 
yeah, thank you for spreading the news and I hope everyone out there has a really great end to the year or start of the year, depending on when this podcast comes out, <laughs> start of the year. Uh, there you go, even more exciting, meeting the new kids and starting with kind of fresh faces and a fresh start. So, yeah, hopefully these tips will help people just think more about themselves within the new year. I hope so too. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher well-being and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.